Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. We'd like to take a second to thank our sponsor, Mauser Electronics. Not only does Mauser stock the world's widest selection of semiconductors and electronic components, they also offer an original content series called Empowering Innovation Together. Each month, EIT takes a deep dive into the hottest tech trends, and this month the focus is on 5G. Check out podcasts, articles, infographics, videos, and more at mauser.com slash empowering innovation. What's up, Internet, and welcome back to the Engadget Podcast. I'm Senior Editor Devendra Hardwar. I'm Reviews Editor Sherlyn Lowe. This week, it is all about Google I.O. 2021, and also a couple reviews from the latest Apple products. We'll be chatting about the iPad Pro and the iMac M1. As always, if you're enjoying the show, please be sure to subscribe to the Engadget Podcast on iTunes or your podcatcher of choice. Leave us a review on iTunes because I swear those little reviews and star ratings actually matter. And if you want to drop us a question, shoot us an email at podcast at Engadget.com. Let's just kick off with Google I.O. And joining us to talk about that is our senior mobile editor, Chris Velasco, who did all this with Sherlyn. Hello, Chris. Hi. How is it going? Hi. And uh, I will say up front to our listeners, Chris and Sherlyn did a post-IO recap that is up on our YouTube stream. Uh, We didn't have a chance to put that in the podcast channel, but it is worth listening to as well. But uh, yeah, let's talk about some high-level stuff. So (laughs) what... What was up with Google I.O. this year? I'm just wondering, like, what is your broad takeaway for both of you? My my main one, and, and let me, I don't mind, I don't know if we have the same thought, V, but my uh-huh. main takeaway is that, like, since Google didn't have an I.O. last year and it did this year, there was news across all, like, all <laughs> of its ecosystem so much. This was a two-hour-long event, and Google has made, you know, changes to so many things that it it's it almost bored us with some of the stuff because the early parts were yeah. very dry. And then the meat and potatoes, Android and, and consumer software side of things were later in the show. So it, it I think Google flexed kind of the breadth of this like product portfolio at Google I.O. It just reminded mm-hmm. everyone like this is how much, you know, of your business we have business in. And it's like you can't you just it's Sometimes you can't easy escape to forget. Us. Yeah, it's, it's easy to forget Google's in every facet of your life, but then it's oh, like, man. No, and also and feature I, facets like, like 3D meetings and whatnot. Mm. Uh, v, what did you think? Because you're also coming off of this from doing a lot of Apple stuff too. So <laughs> mm-hmm. you have a good sense of how Apple and Google are doing and how they compare to each other. Yeah, I mean, that came up a lot mm-hmm. sort of during the conversations around uh, the event. You know, people were comparing the Google event to the way Apple sort of handles things, sort of critiquing one versus the other. And I don't, I mean, like, this is a developer show. For people who aren't aware, Google I.O. is a developer-focused yes. show. There is, like, that beginning keynote <laughs> where they sort of really high-level go through basically everything that they've been working on. And everything really feels like everything this time. Mm-hmm. But but after that, like, this is a show meant for people who are getting down into the weeds 
needs and building apps and figuring out how best to create and deploy and manage their own software. So it's it's you're, we were left with a very palpable sense sort of halfway through mm-hmm. that this was very interesting but kind of pie in the sky, <laughs> maybe even slightly boring stuff to mm-hmm. some people. I don't, but yeah, that is yeah. – it's it's just easy to forget. That's what IO mm-hmm. was kind of always like. They, mm-hmm. you know, there's there's smart home platform improvements. There's Wear stuff. There's Assistant. There's quantum computing. But then also the more traditional stuff that you'd associate with Google. So Android, for Search. example. So very different it's, than like an Apple yeah. media event, right? Which I think is very uh, almost very commercial like and very slick in a way. This is. A little more dev focus. I'll tell you guys, I've been watching a lot of uh, upfronts, which are the things media mm-hmm. companies do. So like Disney and Warner Media, it's the things they create to woo advertisers and to you know let all their partners know what they're up to. Um, this felt more like an upfront. It was more like, hey, we're Google. Look at everything we're doing because it's not strictly consumer. It didn't feel exactly developer focused either in a way, because when I think developer focused and boring, I think of like Microsoft's build keynotes, which last over <laughs> two one. hours and Those it's people are coding on stage. <laughs> There's actual you know, coding like on stage. Yes. Coding on stage. Like that is for developers. This felt like it was labor. They were moving from bit to bit. They just had a lot of little bits to do. But let's talk about some of the high level stuff. What is changing with Android? Um, it seems like they're finally going for a little bit more style, although... I don't know. That that seems uh, debatable. <laughs> it does seem like the biggest visual refresh in, I want right. to say, years. I, I believe, personally, since, like, Android 10 or maybe even before. But VU, I mean, you followed mm-hmm. Android a little more closely than I have. In when the did past material design drop? Like, when was that idea? What was, what was that, like, 2013, mm-hmm. 14, 14? Back when Matthias yeah. Duarte really so started since talking then, about it. Yeah. 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 And it really just seems like they've taken the material kind of concept and just blown it open. Mm-hmm. For people who didn't sort of see the show unfold, one of the big changes to Android 12 is the sort of they've reshifted material design to this concept called Material U, which basically kind of builds off of their approach to sort of clean, layered uh, design, but sort of added some really heavy customization effects. So once you set your wallpaper, for example, Android will be able to not just see what it is and sort of tune system colors uh, appropriately, you know, they'll they'll look for sort of complementary colors sure, sure. or sort of what would look – so like there are and, – and it does also seem like those changes mm-hmm. uh, sort of get tied to your Google account. So if you have a Pixel and you've, you know, tricked it out just the way that you want it, that – theming information mm-hmm. stays with your account. So when you get a new one, you're basically left with a device that looks a lot like your old one, which I thought was actually That's really cool. cool. I, uh, the name, by the way, almost seems like a like a threat. Like when they yeah. first said it, it's like material <laughs> you, okay? Which is reminds me of like one of my favorite lines from like bad uh, 90s action movies, which is usually F me. No, no, no. F you. Uh, and it feels just, just like that. Uh, material you. Everybody, uh, uh, I don't know. Like, what do you guys think about this design? It looks there's a lot of rounded edges, but it also yeah. seems like baby's first, uh, you know, bit, mobile UI in a way. Like, it does not seem. It does not. It doesn't even seem like. I don't know. What do you guys think? Tell me about that. I, I I've spent some time, and I think V, you have yeah. too, with the Android 12 beta, and uh, my you know the write up uh, is already live on our site. If you want to go check it out for more detailed impressions, but. I don't believe we've seen the full extent of it, at least in this beta. Right, and right, right. 
there's more what it is is i think a more cohesive more refined os with it in mm-hmm. addition to these like visual uh design changes so i'm i'm more looking forward to that because in some ways the android 11 os itself felt to me still like it was a beta there were some things that were just inconsistent throughout like font sizes or like the notifications uh shade just wouldn't just didn't look right it looked like something out of a dev like Dev's toolbox or something. Meanwhile, so far, the Android 12 beta looks cleaner. It looks... Maybe it's just like mm-hmm. my eyes adjusting to the difference, probably, th- but... It's a little flatter, in a way. Like, the, the way it looks, bit. it almost looks like uh, the way some companies do digital signage or something. Yeah. Like, it is very, like, bold colors, round designs, big fonts, which... Yeah. It is more cohesive and almost flat in a way that that, uh, like, Windows Phone kind of was like the yeah. it's Ooh, yeah. it's kind of mm-hmm. blocky and it's not square it's not like sharp angles yeah, it's like rounder that, for sure it's rounder um i don't know i i, I see I, anything it almost seems like the interface from like a movie like her you know like a sci-fi <laughs> movie interface but it does seem yeah. simplified in a way which i'm not sure part is better. of it's just different yeah part of it in my opinion one thing i noticed is that like the new notifications shape compared to android 11 it, like the individual mm-hmm. cards for each alert, the color isn't as contrasty as the background it's on anymore. So it's not as different. It's actually like a lighter shade of white on top of a, like a more translucent white or something. Um, mm-hmm. But that makes everything feel like less, like there's so many different pieces flying around. So it's like right, less cluttered right. looking. I think that's part of the change here. Mm-hmm. Um it is. Cl- think- it's sort of like somebody went to. It's like when you hire an interior designer, right? You think you have a good design in your home, and then you hire somebody to be like, put everything in cute little boxes, and nothing gets Marie out Kondo? of its space. It's very Marie <laughs> Kondo of Android. Not even like she. She's all about removing things. But hey, yeah, yeah it, it is kind of like that. By the way, listeners, if you want to see an example of this thing in action, check out Shrillin's piece about this Android 12 beta. But also, if you check out this live stream, she has been holding up the phone and doing cool stuff. So check that <laughs> and out. And there's a video coming. Channel. Stay tuned. There's a video coming. That's all good. Is there anything, like, what else is coming to Android? Because they, they keep saying this is the biggest mm-hmm. operating system in the world. You know, they're really flexing their power. What, are, what else do we have to look forward to besides Material U? I mean, V, go ahead. Mm-hmm. No, I was just going to say that the one thing I was really hoping would wind up in this first sort of public beta build that I don't think is there, I haven't found it at least, is the sort of privacy dashboard. Yeah, so it's sort of it's sort of it builds off of Google's idea of of digital well-being to the point where, you know, some of the visuals from what we understand look the same. There's like the circular graph that just shows you your breakdown between, you know, in this case with the privacy dashboard, how frequently some apps require access to certain permissions. And that is to me a very powerful thing, right? Because I think everyone, because of the way apps will just sort of claim access to whatever you allow them to, even if you're aware of it or not, you know, because people are just sort of willing generally to hit, yes, I accept, and just kind of go about their mm-hmm. lives, like these apps are accessing, they can access your camera, your cellular data, your identifiers, all of these things that people just do not think about. So having one place where you can sort of manage and really kind of have a quick 
relatively easy think about what should and should not have access to what at any given time, that's huge. Even if people don't always use it, having a tool that makes it easier for those who are inclined, which by the way, should be everybody, that that feels like a really big step forward. Yeah. One one quick question we actually got. Let me, let me just quit, join in here because we got a comment from our YouTube mm -hmm. chat. And if you join us live uh, Thursdays around 10 a.m. Eastern, you can drop us some questions too. It's from Eski Anderson who's asking, could you talk more about low vision accessibility on Android 12? He's, uh, they're visually impaired and they stick to Apple because of the accessibility options. Do we hear anything about that with this version? Some of the changes coming to Android include some accessibility improvements. And I am actually mm -hmm. trying to pull up the exact ones yet. Uh, they're not yet in the Android beta, uh, but you know, Google has been making some updates to its accessibility features in uh, in the last few months, uh, not mm -hmm. in, instead of just waiting for like an Android 12 release. For low vision, I believe you might be relying on something like a screen reader. Um, and I, you know, Android or Google is at least constantly kind of working on updating that. So let me get you the uh, exact updates. I know there are some improvements mm -hmm. coming to the Android 12 UI, unless you know offhand V what that might be. I don't. I was actually just thinking, and this is, I swear to God, I'm not like an Apple booster that just like <laughs> happened. Like they just timed things out very oh, yeah. well. Yeah. Um, Yesterday. We, we didn't hear much about specific accessibility improvements to Android 12, but I should point out Apple did ahead of WWDC outline a handful of really interesting accessibility features that will be part of iOS 15 and iPad OS 15. So I that obviously... I think it was or will be Global Accessibility Day fairly soon. So that's yep. kind of feels like why they did it. But at the same time, it seems pretty clear that Apple is really keen on playing this up. And Android is is working on it. They just maybe weren't as as sort of making it a point to have that front and center in the keynote. The, the new yeah. design, by the way, like Material U does look like a design that could easily be more visually accessible because so, it's less cluttered and they can get bigger, right? That's, yeah. that's part of the thing. If you have mm -hmm. your system font set to bigger because you have low visibility, I have a friend who is legally blind and their screen is always zoomed into like 200% or something like that. That mm -hmm. That's part of what Material U is supposed to do, which is to keep the font size the same, whether you open a different app and somehow they've forgotten the built-in font mm -hmm. uh, command or and, and that sort of stuff. So if you're using uh, uh, that sort of system UI change, that's something that Android mentioned. And also, yes, GAAD, aka Global Accessibility Awareness Day, is coming up or actually has happened. <laughs> I was like, we were thinking if we should have something tied up to that, but... Uh, yeah. It felt like playing, like being, we, we shouldn't just kind of like have something up just because, you know, it should be constant reporting on this issue. Anyway. Did we hear <laughs> anything about Android on tablets, by the way? Because I remember that was a big deal that you were talking about some stuff, so, Lynn. Did they mention yeah. that at all? So uh, that's part of material you. I don't think uh -huh. uh, Google necessarily called out tablets specifically during I.O. But material you is meant to kind of adapt to different screen sizes, I believe. And also, you know echo your same chosen design preferences mm -hmm. on all your devices tied to your Google account. So your watch, for example, Wear OS is going to be committed to this whole new material you look. Um, and tablets should also, and foldables should also, you know, <laughs> offer similar, similar new similar, looks. Similar things. Let's talk about Wear OS, by the way, because you brought mm -hmm. it up. Uh, mm -hmm. I like to make fun of uh, how badly <laughs> Google has handled smartwatches. There's at least some big and interesting news for the next year, right? Yeah. So huge news. Huge news. Samsung and um, Google. Actually, Google, I, I don't know if they reached out or whatever, but Google and Samsung are teaming up on the next Wear OS. And because of that, Samsung is completely 
saying goodbye to Tizen more or less. So, so not completely. It's the existing devices that run Tizen OS will continue to run it and get support for three years. And then uh, every other new wearable that Samsung makes from now on will be running on this new Wear OS that the company says it co-engineered with Google. <laughs> Are you hyped? <laughs> you should be hyped. I'm, uh, I'm, hey, there were some things in Tizen that were clearly better than Android Wear, and it never made sense why the best Android, you know, the Galaxy watches were the best Android-specific smartphone smart watches around, So, and they weren't using Google's platform. So having a little more of a unified thing, I think, kind of makes sense. This is Google realizing we, we are bad at this thing. Yeah. Especially yep. when it comes to like consumer electronics and consumer UI. So let's talk to Samsung, which is the biggest consumer electronics or next to Apple, one of the biggest in the world. So mm-hmm. makes sense. It makes a lot of sense for them to partner because um, it's good for Samsung. It's good for Google, right? Sherlyn, really quick, one question that I've sort of been chewing on that I don't think I ever got a great answer to, and I'm pretty sure a few other people have this as well. Mm-hmm. You know, with with the sort of confluence now between Tizen and Wear OS, are we looking at a completely different sort of software foundation for Wear OS? Like, is it part Wear OS, part Tizen? Or is Samsung really just saying here, yeah, Tizen didn't work. Let's just work with you guys on what already exists and what can exist in Wear OS. So my understanding is in terms of a software foundation, we're talking about two levels. We're talking about like a deeper level below what the user sees, which is Overall, how processes are handled in the background, how, um, you know, you can get things like constant heart rate monitoring in a way that doesn't sap your battery too much. Um, Mm -hmm. At that level, there are changes, right? Google did say that it's expecting things like apps to launch 30% faster. You've got more animations. And I mentioned before, I don't know if on this podcast specifically, but having more animations throughout a UI, even if it's something as small as as something flashing, an element flashing when you tap it, Mm -hmm. it makes a UI feel more responsive. Just just because you're not kind of just waiting for things to not happen or happen, right? So uh, that level, yes. And then on the whole UI that's facing uh, the watch wearer, my understanding, based on renders I've seen, it's very similar to existing Wear OS, except for uh, the tiles feature, which Google introduced in 2019 and had it limited to just first-party widgets in the past, is going to expand to include third-party widgets uh, way more than before. And we haven't heard a lot of other names, so we've got Calm and Spotify that seem like they're on board. And this tiles feature was always very similar to Tizen OS, where it's side-swiping horizontal mm-hmm. scrolling to see all your different, like, apps that you want there and you can customize it put your favorite ones near the the center um so that's where it's very similar to tizen and where tizen was limited in that style before was that it was all pretty much all samsung's own widgets right you had like a spotify (laughs) widget here and there you had an uber widget maybe if you wanted to maybe a my fitness pal for like calorie tracking or something but it was basically mostly samsung widgets so now you have the option of side swiping through Possibly the whole world of Android apps if if Google and Samsung get their way. So that's, I, I think, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Does that answer your question, V? Do you understand better now kind of with yeah. the software change? Yeah. Maybe? No, that's usually helpful. It also just seems like a really big deal because mm-hmm. I, I think probably all of us at this point have tried some Galaxy wearable mm-hmm. running Tizen. Like, I think I still have a Galaxy watch s3 or like the frontier or whatever from a while ago around here and i did love it for what it was but yeah like the biggest sticking point to me at least was it'll do it'll do all of the traditional smart 
watch functions just fine. Yeah. Like it'll do fitness tracking to an extent, which was also very helpful. But when it came time to try and figure out other things you could do with right. the watch, Tizen always felt a little too limited, right? Like, mm -hmm. as you mentioned, there are a couple companies like Spotify, like Uber, that were ride or die. Like, mm -hmm. from the beginning, they were talking up their partnerships yep. with Samsung yep. for Tizen. And now we finally get maybe everybody. Yeah. It sounds like a huge world that we might now finally be able to access on our wrists. Well, we're going to get mean, a Bitmoji we'll watch face. So. <laughs> Great. We probably You know will. that was that was definitely a Samsung thing, wasn't it? I, I, I would say, have to imagine. <laughs> even with this partnership, I have a hard time getting too excited for where 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 OS is going because honestly even even watch OS even the Apple Watch is kind of limited and not going as far as I'd like um yeah we'll see i guess it's better than it's ever has been for android right but it's it's given, exciting yeah, yeah. a lot of people are excited about it uh i forgot Finally. i had one thing to say about this but i forgot uh -huh. anyway we'll continue i remember oh. like when all this stuff started and people were talking about smartwatches and people were just so hyped on the moto 360 because it was like it was a round base smartwatch and those were the simple days when like moto was like actually still doing cool stuff and they haven't just given up I would like a return to those exciting days, but I think what that was 2012, 2013, it does yeah. feel like Google consistently, they've had this platform, they feel to like really grow it. The partnership is all splintered and uh, maybe this will help. Maybe this will kind of unify things. Yeah. I, I remember one thing I want to say. So one of the things that people uh -huh. like about Tizen and, and Galaxy watches is the rotating bezel makes it so easy yes. to just side scroll. Mm -hmm. yes. I could see mm -hmm. how, you know, that feature that Google seemed to abandon on Wear OS where they actually had a rotating knob that let you scroll through mm -hmm. apps on like an apps list or like a notifications list. I could see Google bringing that back with Samsung on this new Wear OS where instead mm -hmm. of a, or in addition maybe to the rolling, this rotating bezel that Samsung watches would have, maybe other OEMs could make this rotating knob to side scroll through widgets too. It might make it easier if you have a lot of apps stacked up sideways. Anyway, this is me kind of just <laughs> guessing and maybe <laughs> trying to give Google some ideas if they want to give me some credit for this eventually well, again. I'm sure they will definitely give you credit. Yeah. <laughs> will Absolutely. But, Gunning for those royalties. Uh, really quick on that accessibility question, by the way, Dev, that you pointed out. I just wanted to just quickly answer that. So in the Material U uh, mm -hmm. announcement post, there is a section on accessibility about Material U design. So it's like supposedly a, the section is called accessible for every need. And like I mentioned, like uh, it's not just the size of the font, but also it allows you to have control of contrast and line width with a contextually aware mm -hmm. system that can customize UIs in more ways than previously possible. So there might be other things that you can adjust to to make it easier to read the, the screen or, or, or elements on the screen. Mm. Awesome. Material you, guys. Just material you. Which, uh, which is going to be part of the new look on Wear OS, too. Just it's, to tie it's it back to look. what we were talking about. Uh, material you. <laughs> I just can't, I can't get over saying it. <laughs> Let's move over to some other bits. There, there were other, there are like other interesting things. I think they mentioned. Uh, I wrote up a story about Google basically working with a group of diverse experts, uh, mm -hmm. black and brown experts in the tech field and in cinematography. They're working on building a more racially inclusive Android camera. So they're actually getting a lot of feedback uh, in from these folks about you know how lighting works and how mm -hmm. to deal with uh, auto white balance and auto color balance and exposure levels and things like that. So that you know, these uh, future Pixel phones are better at interpreting how light bounces off darker skin. And I think that is going to be a big deal for a lot of users. Honestly, like I'll tell you guys, like smartphone cameras don't do well with my skin tone and uh, I'm not 
you know, I'm a little dark too, guys. So <laughs> it is like this seems like stuff that is a long time coming. I'm glad to see Google is doing it. Um, it also feels like some of this has been happening already. So I don't know, Sherlyn, do you have a sense of like yeah. how different is this from the way Android cameras has been yeah. you know, have been working so far? So, yeah, no, uh, Google has been talking up this whole, like, we're looking into making sure cameras are, are aware or, or, you know, compensating or, you know, just evaluating for, for different skin tones. Uh, first I heard of it uh, that I remember anyway was during a briefing for Google's new Meet hardware. Um, it was releasing, uh, you know, video cameras or webcams for conference calls and that sort of thing. And even in, as early as that, they were talking about how, they were looking at uh, how a camera interprets or, or their photography algorithms interpret different skin tones. It's been a while. And I know that uh, I believe around the time when Google was talking about how you can use Android phones, webcams to measure your heart rate, something like that. Uh, Google might also have talked a little bit sort of like tease that they're looking at improving camera software to understand different skin tones as well. So They've sort of hinted at this, but this is a big commitment. And for you know sure. what? Good for you, Google. I think this is so important. It's good. I mean, it's important for people to realize, too, cameras are more about than just the lenses or the sensors yeah. they're putting into things, especially for smartphones. Cameras these days are also heavily reliant on software. Google, you know, Google's portrait modes, you know, has been an entirely software thing before cameras, multiple cameras started heading into, mm -hmm. uh, into smartphones. So, yeah. V, did you want to add anything here? I was just going to, mm -hmm. I, I've been thinking to myself about all this, you know, this does sound really cool. And, you know, they did go a bit into sort of how they're doing this, right? Like mm -hmm. they're making sure more pictures of black people are winding mm -hmm. up in the data sets yes. that they're using to train the algorithms. They've sort of enlisted the help of these black creators mm -hmm. who can just sort of more ably kind of give Google a sense of how, like what conditions black skin looks good in. Like I got a very sort of like Issa Rae uh, vibe there. Oh yeah, because, because of it? insecure. In insecure, yeah. like yeah. lit black people beautifully. And you know, that's unfortunately relatively rare. I, I, I am a little concerned though. Like we have seen really, really cool announcements and just sort of software features announced at Google I.O. that just take quite a while to trickle mm -hmm. out. Mm -hmm. The one that immediately springs to mind is, uh, I don't know if you remember a couple years ago, there was this one Google Assistant demo where everything was just moving lightning fast. Oh, everything yeah. was happening yep. on device. They had shrunk down the machine learning model to yep. function really beautifully on a phone. And and to my knowledge, you correct me if I'm wrong, I feel like that hasn't made Not it yet. out to any Android device yet. So again, I wonder if this is one of those situations where Google clearly is moving in the right direction, right. but doesn't really have anything to show for it for a while. Well, so, I, so they mentioned that we will probably see something on Pixel phones this fall or soon. And I think mm -hmm. the other other interesting thing is Google said, whatever they learn, they're going to be sharing with the rest of the Android community. So this mm -hmm. will probably first appear in like the Pixel camera or the Google camera. What is that? Is it a specific app that's on Pixel phones now? Um, but it will probably be within that and then hopefully on other Android devices eventually. Given given uh, mm -hmm. Google's ability to kind of just push out Night Sight as quickly, like as it did after first announcing Night Sight, and I don't think this is exactly the same technology, but in the same kind of realm, I wouldn't be surprised if we start to see this rollout with eh, the next Pixel phone, maybe the Pixel 6, sure. not the 5A, probably not, but maybe the Pixel 6. <laughs> maybe knows? something cool. There was also, they showed off something that I think nobody expected, which is mm. called Project Starline. Can you mm -hmm. tell me a bit about that, Sherlyn? <laughs> yeah, Project Starline is this, oh, uh, I believe Sundar Pichai also called it a moonshot. Mm -hmm. This is, this is 
Mm-hmm. Video conferencing at the next level. This is when you make a meet call with your friend in the future with Project Starline technology, which is, by the way, not going to come out anytime soon. Yeah. It uses light field yeah. technology, uh, so specialized cameras to kind of detect you, the caller, and then uh, your, your, your features in 3D, and then mm-hmm. also project that to the person you're calling so that when you see each other and you're talking to each other on this call, you both look like you're actually sort of there you're, you're yeah. in 3d your your features your facial features and your the depth of your your person mm-hmm. uh can be viewed of course through a specialized display like almost a holographic looking glass style yeah, display yeah. well but let me just say they're, they're set up for this thing the way they demoed it right is that you uh, step into a booth it looks like it looks like a, a diner booth right where you step mm-hmm. in you're in front of this giant screen this window there's a 3D depth sensing camera that takes your image and, you know, compresses that, shoots it to another one of these booths somewhere else. And then on the other side is a giant display. It's not just mm-hmm. like a small screen. Yeah. It is like, life you know, size. it is like life size. It looks like a uh, bathroom vanity mirror, mm. basically, where you see <laughs> a lifelike 3D version of the person you're talking to. I'm sure they couldn't convey it super well. There, There is a video out there that mm. Google is showing off. You could still see some compression. You could see yes. some like you know, issues around the edges, but I'm sure in person seeing the actual 3d depth would make it seem even more exciting or interesting. Right. Oh yeah. I, 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 now that you've kind of broken it down, I'm also concerned about like how, you know, what sort of internet speeds and bandwidth are we talking? Because this is like, like, like I said, that Pichai said, probably a moonshot because it's going to rely heavily on our favorite topic. 5g is going to rely very heavily on, you know, very good data. (laughs) speed. speed. I I will say there were Google people. um, I think some of the folks working on this were geeking around on Twitter and John Carmack, the co-founder of id software, you know, the formal CTO of uh, Oculus, uh, mm. was was also geeking about out about this and Google people confirmed to him that it does not take it does not need crazy internet. It could probably they said like 10 10 megabits per second, which is, you know, kind no. of the standard for 4K video. No kidding. So, yeah. yeah, they're saying it doesn't take that much, but I'm sure the this overall hardware setup you can't just replicate this anywhere, but I could see this being the sort of thing that pops up in like uh, offices or something down the line where they have phone booths and you actually want to have a face-to-face conversation with somebody. This is a way to do it that's better than a webcam, at least. Given we're all remote working, we're all kind of, <laughs> I think, going back to maybe some sort of hybrid uh, environment for a bit. This might, this is very interesting. V, what do you think? I would love to put one of these in my basement. God <laughs> darn it. You my put everything perfect for it. This is all. This is also true, but that's maybe a story for another, another time. But yeah, like it really does seem like the limiting factor here is the hardware. Google mentioned that they're using high resolution cameras yeah. and depth sensors to kind of develop the 3D model of you that appears in this volumetric sort of looking glass style display. And you know, as as exciting as it is, uh, the possibility to maybe just like go to work one day and jump in on a meeting with one of these, mm-hmm. like that's that's not really when I want to use this, right? Like if I want to feel like I'm really talking to someone, it's going to be my dad who lives like an hour or two away and like I can't rent a car and visit all of the time. Like that's – those are the kinds of people I really want to – feel like I'm mm-hmm. in front of. And it, it unfortunately does kind of seem like it'll be a while, if ever, before we get to have that experience in our homes. Yeah. Speaking of moonshots, by the way, Google also showed off something called Lambda AI, which is a sort of like, I don't know, a smarter way of having natural conversations with Google Assistant and AIs. Uh, what Can you guys break this down for me? Like what was going on here? Because they were talking to Pluto 
which was confusing. <laughs> v, you can go ahead. Yeah. Let me, yeah, let me take this one. So as I understand it, Lambda is a sort of a machine learning framework that, that goes – to put it sort of pretty simply, very broadly and very deeply with respect to concepts. And Pluto is a really interesting example. Like in order for this machine learning algorithm to sort of act as though it is the planet Pluto and and sort of engaging mm -hmm. with it from that perspective, it not only has to understand what Pluto is, but it sort of has to understand related concepts. So space exploration, weather, uh, just sort of the mechanics of the solar system, gravity. So it sort of goes out to sort of build a net of things that it should know about as they relate to Pluto. But then it also goes quite deep in those concepts as well. So <laughs> it's it's maybe not the best explanation, but it, it's, Google is really doing yeah. – it's like wild to see. It's like they're trying to give um, an existential justification for why this AI exists. And I do feel like this is this is how you get Skynet, folks. This is how you get <laughs> you know AI that just loses its sense of persona and doesn't know – the difference between right and wrong, it thinks I am Earth, therefore I must protect Earth, therefore I must destroy all of humanity. <laughs> I, I remember <laughs> I remember similar concerns being thrown around the first time we saw Google mm -hmm. unveil Duplex at an IO in years past. And yeah. Duplex, uh, as a recap, it was, was like Google's, basic back and forth conversation. Yeah, yeah, it's similar mm -hmm. to this where it's AI technology where um, the assistant was able to like insert pauses that indicated hesitation during mm -hmm. a conversation with a, a restaurant on the phone and people were like, oh my gosh, this is too real. This is what, you know, and, and Lambda also has similar, um, you know, that sort of similar feeling to it. It feels like it's trying to build up assistant to be almost a very, very human bot. <laughs> and <laughs> understandably people are concerned. Yeah. I, I'm it's like, it's so. like a kid's game, right? Where you ask a kid to pretend you are this thing and then it starts yeah. to act as if you were, it is that thing. I don't know, guys. Maybe we should not give our AI this existential awareness just yet until we that can is why, our AI. That yeah. is why people are looking into AI ethics and law and how to kind of regulate all of that or to make sure that doesn't sure. go buck wild. That, that hasn't gone so well for Google lately. We will discuss in future episodes because I <laughs> yeah. have a family member who is deeply investigating mm -hmm. some of these things so we can talk. AI ethics is episodes. a big thing. Google... Oh, yeah. For the past couple of months, has historically showed that it it has a it has done a bad job of managing its AI ethics department. So we've talked a bit about that. Google that oh, stuff. Yeah. It oh, is yeah. uh, I cannot trust Google when it comes to AI stuff right now, unfortunately. Uh, one other thing I think is worth calling out is Smart Canvas, which is something basically the next evolution of Google Workplace or like all the you know all the Google online office software. It's basically a way to like unify the way all of its different apps work. So they showed us some examples like in a in a Google Doc, you could basically pipe in one of your meetings. So you can talk with people as you're working with the doc right alongside it. Right now you can start a Google meeting, you know, and manually say, hey, I'm going to broadcast this document to you, which is kind of clunky. It's not super smooth. Um, they're basically creating different ways to like tag people. So like in a document, if you want to say, sure, Lynn, you're going to be dealing with this part of the podcast, I can tag Sherlyn to it and it'll become part of her tasks. Uh, you can link to other Google documents or you could like seamlessly link into Sheets. You can, within Google Chats, which is their workplace chat thing, you can immediately just hop into like a sheet to edit data. So it is a more seamless, unified way of dealing with all these Office documents. Not the sort of thing consumers will probably see soon. But I think for professionals and especially people who live in the Google Docs ecosystem, it seems like a big deal, uh, at least to me. I don't know about you guys. 
it's very, very similar to what Microsoft mm-hmm. just unveiled last build mm-hmm. with the, I forget what they call their thing. Fluid framework. They you. showed fluid off fluid, framework. but it, we're, we're still only seeing little bits of that. But yeah, it is a similar thing of like saying, hey, um, we're, we're kind of going to unify all of our apps. Yeah. The idea of a single document may matter less because everything is inter- interconnected, basically. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, Dev, just for my own clarification, because as I recall, this was like the first major product announcement of the keynote. And I think at that point during the stream, I was still like, uh, yeah. OK, yeah. what's going on here? What is here? So what's the, what's the best way to think about this thing? Is it is it really just sort of a fabric that unites all of Google's sort of existing mm-hmm. productivity services or is it or is it something more than that? I think it's pretty much that like it is not a separate mm-hmm. product. It is like. Think of it like the next evolution of Google Docs, you know, and Google Google Sheets and Google Slides. Uh, Young folks may not remember a world before (laughs) having, you know, decent online web apps to collaborate Mm -hmm. on work. But that was certainly the case. And I think Google Docs landed in like, what, 2006, Um, you know, shortly after Gmail arrived. And, hey, I was working in IT. I had to help support how people, you know collaborated on files and worked on documents and stuff. And it was like, this was a game changer because all of, a, all of a sudden you didn't just have to like share, you know, have a Microsoft Word document, share it on your computer, email it to somebody, um, have them hopefully do the track changes, have them mail it back to you. Like it really streamlined the whole process of working on documents together. And then Google Docs, yeah, allowed for people to work simultaneously on a single document. So on a sheet, you know, on a spreadsheet or on a, you know, on a presentation slide, that was just game changing. And it, it kind of spurred on everybody, including Microsoft to build better web apps. So now you can do Microsoft word on the web with office 365. I don't think it's as seamless. It's not as, um, it's not the sort of thing everybody has. And then office 365 is a subscription tools like you have to pay to use that stuff whereas google drive all the google stuff is free so i think google has fundamentally reshaped the way a lot of people work especially students um and this is just the next step i totally agree i remember when i was like i will be dead before i give up my office software and then here mm-hmm. i am now i refuse to work on off oh yeah no when, when google you first used- being oh, yeah. stubborn about no- yeah useless things yes mm. <laughs> what else is new podcast. what else is new <laughs> Yeah, but of all the things to sort of yeah, raise a stink no. over, really? That's before okay. I was a Google girl. This was when I got I had Gmail, I had everything. I was like, no, you'll take my office like, keys from my cold word, dead fingers. Word is so much more useful. Sheets are so limited. Hotmail so for limited. life. Yeah, yeah. hotmail no, for no, no, life. No, just just office for life. Yeah. Then now I'm like <laughs> Google all the time. Just screw Google yeah, like, all the time. You, you sent me a dot doc. What the hell even is that? What the hell doc? is this? Um, you know. It, it is it is hard to fathom, I think, for especially younger folks. Like this stuff really changed the way we work. I used to have to we had to deal with like email apps to read our email, you know, in the past, yeah. or deal with really, really bad web email apps, which were built on CGI and like refreshed manually and they were so bad. Oh, oh. good lord. Um, wow. Yeah. That was what things were like before Gmail and before <laughs> Google Docs and everything. So hey, we're talking about the past. This seems really interesting. I wonder uh if people will actually latch onto it because uh we are a Google workplace over in Gadget. So hopefully more of these uh you know we'll take advantage of some of these features. Is there anything else you guys want to add about Google I.O.? We will be playing with all of these things they were announced. So stay tuned to Engadget for for our coverage as as it rolls out. So and yes, we are still like IO as we're recording this is still happening. There's still oh, yeah. sessions. There's still news coming out of these things. So stay tuned for a lot more.
let's move on to our reviews of the latest Apple products. V, you just saw and reviewed the iPad Pro with the M1 processor. Clearly, this is the best device Apple has ever produced, right? Right? That seems that's, like the hype that's, here. That's kind of what I'm feeling. And I feel uh-huh. weird even, even like being this enthusiastic about a thing because like it's uh, on one hand, it is very definitively still just an iPad. Mm-hmm. Like the software, which is a whole other story unto itself. Like we're, we're, I have the very strong impression that Apple's going to do some crazy stuff at WWDC mm-hmm. that will allow developers and Apple itself to really kind of take this hardware to the next level. But it's not there yet. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, it has the best screen I've ever seen basically in a tablet. It has desktop great performance. It has 5G. Like if you had to ask me what was Apple's best personal computer, like their best all-in-one personal computing package, one could make a pretty strong argument that this is it. And that's frankly kind of insane. Well, let me just say, I was being a little facetious because <laughs> mm, I'm not going to well. say this is Apple's best product because a good product has to have both great hardware and great software. And as you just said, and as is the title of your review, this device makes it really clear that Apple's hardware has kind of outpaced at least where the iPad OS is and where its mobile software is. To me, that feels limiting, right? Because this thing is as expensive as a MacBook Air and a MacBook Pro. If you go up to the big price, it is heavier oh, yeah. than the MacBook Pro when mm-hmm. you add on the, the new keyboard, which is wild to me. And yet <laughs> it is... Um, it is less capable, right? Because it is, it can only run the iPad OS apps. Uh, it is very limited in terms of how you can multitask and do things. It is a vision into the future, but it also seems like not fully equipped to replace somebody's MacBook Pro. Somebody who needs a MacBook Pro would still you you couldn't just move over to the iPad Pro entirely, right? Like maybe. And and here's where <laughs> uh-huh. here's where like the cognitive dissonance comes into play, like. I've been reviewing iPad Pros for a long time. Mm-hmm. And for basically the entirety of the time that they've existed, they're basically just bigger iPads. Yes. They've relied on the software to sort of define what that experience and means. And better screens. Like they had and, high refresh rate mm, screens before yes. anything else. Yeah. On iPad. Very true. Yeah. So they they specifically chose areas of focus where they could where they knew they could sort of push the envelope a bit and, you know, kind of pick up steam for for future future endeavors. But I, I have also sort of come to the realization over the last few years I've reviewed these things that like maybe maybe the way that we work on a computer, like at this point uh-huh. in my life, uh-huh. I would strongly prefer to use a laptop more than basically any other kind of computer. Depends on but the work, maybe, but yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but like, I don't know about you. My workflow is generally like Photoshop, photo editing, mm-hmm. a lot of web browsing, a lot of writing. I'll maybe record, you know, a podcast or like another thing that I'm working on. Like there's... That's that's like 85 to 90 percent of like my daily use case. Mm -hmm. And that kind of stuff you can do on an iPad. So I wonder if there's just like a generational shift at play where people like us who Mm -hmm. have come up on traditional PCs, on laptops, have turned to laptops as our main mode of portable computing. Mm -hmm. Maybe maybe we're just in for a shift. Like maybe we are officially last generation and people really can – kind of fit their lives into an iPad. I know it's mm-hmm. weird to talk about. It is weird, yeah. I, I feel like there are quite a few people out there who could probably make this work without too much I've, trouble. I've talked to a lot of people about that, and honestly, I'm thinking of, like, eventually getting an iPad Pro, maybe not this model, but maybe last year's mm. at a discount, which, hey, by the way, folks, that is the best way to get hardware. Get it refurbished, get the last model, get it cheaper. Um, but I want that high refresh rate screen. I want, like, a nice portable writing machine and something to just write on and consume a bit of media. Sure, 
it won't replace my desktop. I have a huge desktop PC here for gaming and for doing mm-hmm. podcast production because I got to sometimes edit things. Um, sometimes I do a little bit of video editing. Like there's stuff I need to do. You can do it on the iPad. It's just not ideal. I do agree there is probably a generational shift here. My main question for you, V, like do you feel a real difference with this iPad Pro compared to last year's, which was also really fast. We said the same exact thing, actually, where <laughs> this is some of the best hardware around, but the software just isn't there yet. Uh, that wasn't an M1 chip, but it was still really fast. Can you actually feel the difference this year? Mm, basically, no. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. But again, but again, that, that boils down to like my use case. It's yep. like, by far, the one thing I use any computer for more than anything is just like trying to write because mm-hmm. I'm not great at it. Sure. And I just have to like bash my head against the keyboard <laughs> until something of value comes out. Um, I will say though, there are, I, I do, I never got the impression that I was ever using the M1 to its fullest. And yep. again, that's, mm-hmm. that's a software thing. Mm-hmm. Like developers simply have not had the time required to, to optimize their apps and sort of build in sort of the forward thinking features to kind of make these experiences distinct. Mm-hmm. Um, LumaFusion is a great example. It's probably the premier video editing app on iPad right now. And it does work really well. I was exporting 4K videos, you know, everything like adding transitions and sort of doing the basics of video editing work felt really, really fast. Mm-hmm. Like I had no complaints there. But when it comes to export, for example, yeah. any video editor will tell you that like exporting is like the part where you cross your fingers and like pray that everything yeah. works out okay. And you walk away and- from your computer because you can't do anything else. Yeah. Exactly. It's, you know, I've rendered stuff on my like actual personal PC that's taken like 40 minutes. I'm like, all right, cool. I'm going to make lunch. Bye. Mm-hmm. But compared to last year's iPad Pro, which used the A12Z chipset, mm-hmm. this year's iPad Pro was maybe 30 seconds faster, maybe. <laughs> 30 seconds, oh, on the encode, yeah. On the encode, yeah. yeah. And, you know, switching into Premiere Rush, mm-hmm. which is, you know, a very different kind of editing app, but one that's sort of available <laughs> cross-platform, so it's nice to try. The difference was a little bit more palpable right. there, but but even then, mm-hmm. not by much. Is the screen so, app- any different, by the way? Like, because this has mini LEDs, right? And it's still, so last year's was high refresh rate. Last year's was still really bright, but the bezels and stuff are the same. It's just mini LED this year. So that must be noticeable, right? It It is some of the time. What? Again. <laughs> well, hold on. Hang, hang on. Hang on. When, you're, when you're doing that stuff that that we do, which is like writing a lot and recording and like yep. web browsing and like researching, you will not tell the difference. The uh-huh. max brightness in those situations is 600 nits. So exactly like what it was on last year's iPad. Which is really bright. 600 nits is bright, surprisingly bright yeah, for a mobile Yeah, you're device. doing yeah. fine. Like this is totally usable outdoors. Mm-hmm. But when things really get crazy, when you actually start to watch videos yep. or play games, especially with HDR content, mm-hmm. at that point, the max full screen brightness jumps up to a thousand nits. And there are, you know, if you've got HDR content going, like those really bright, Ooh. you know, portions, those can hit 1600. So mm-hmm. long story short, the stuff that's bright gets really bright. Good. And the okay. stuff that is supposed to be dark stays dark. <laughs> Or, you know, dark enough because, because of mini you know, LEDs. Yeah. Because of mini LED, mm-hmm. because of all these localized dimming zones, because of like the mm-hmm. 10,000 tiny LEDs that they had to develop precision machinery to place on the back plane of this display. Mm-hmm. When you're watching videos, it is night and day better than what we had before. That's interesting. For okay. Anything else, <laughs> you're not going to see a whole lot. <laughs> My, uh, Sherlyn, do you want to jump in here with any questions? Do you watch a lot of video on your iPad? Because I watch video on my TV. I watch YouTube constantly. (laughs) I'm just like on on the couch in my bed. Like I have a TV that's decently nice and I only use it when I'm 
like playing PS5 or uh-huh. like having mm-hmm. dinner and I want to watch The West Wing so I feel yeah. less alone. Uh, every other time I'm on a phone or a tablet or something. So yeah, in uh-huh. those cases, it does kind of feel like the iPad has sort of taken over as the capital uh, B, capital D, best display mm-hmm. in my home. How about this though? Why not just put Mac OS on it? It is running the <laughs> Mac hardware. It's literally running the M1 chip now. Like mm-hmm. it has, there. there's a keyboard accessory they can optimize it for a touchscreen. Why, you know, would you, do you think that's something Apple would ever do? Would that make this no. a better machine? Mm-hmm. It might make it a, it wouldn't necessarily make it a better right, machine. Right. It makes it a different machine. And Devendra, you raised an interesting point earlier where like you, you might buy an iPad Pro someday, yeah. and but you would only ever use it as a supplement. It would never device, be my right? only computer. Yes. Right. Mm-hmm. And Apple, I think, I think for a long time they thought maybe, maybe this is where everything is really sure. at and this is what we focus on. Tim Cook has said in his own words, the iPad was Apple's vision for the future of computing. And now, especially with the pandemic sort of driving Mac sales up, like Mac sales have been through the roof, mm-hmm. especially in last quarter's earnings, it's become pretty clear to Apple that at least for now – there are people who could feasibly move full-time into an iPad Pro, but that's not what's happening on a market level. People are buying a lot of iPads, but they're also buying a lot of Macs. Mm-hmm. So with that sort of very keen understanding of the situation, I don't think Apple at this point, for the next few years at least, is going to say, hey, you know what? Let's just put Mac OS on an iPad. Yeah, Let's just never blur the line that's entirely. That's never going to happen. That, that was old Apple. That was 2005 Apple when they did the Intel transition. <laughs> they were like, hey, you can put Windows on this sort of. Um, by the way, weird thing, weird thing. I was writing up, uh, I'll talk about this later, but I wrote up like, you know, a story about how Sony is kind of faltering where it is now. I didn't realize, I forgot the news that, uh, Steve Jobs initially pitched Sony to run Mac OS in like 2000. So who wouldn't like yeah, Sony on Sony I, Bio I like at the time, yeah, Vios were like the, Vios were the hot best. Oh, yeah. they're so beautiful, man. R. So R. beautiful. R.I.P. Bio. Hey, they're still, also, the we're still, still getting exists. news from, from a company called Bio. It's just yeah. not Sony. <laughs> it's just not Sony. Anyway, so the iPad Pro sounds exciting. V. I still, that is the sort of thing where I'm like, hmm, if I'm not paying for like baby stuff and saving money and, you know, dealing with house repairs and whatnot, that would be like a nice little light writing machine I'd like to invest in. But it does not make sense for me to go for this new one when the last year, last year's iPad Pro will probably get cheaper and will be a really good deal. Um, so there's that. But what if, what if you could get a Mac that doesn't, you know, that stays in one place that uh-huh. lets you do a huh. lot of work all hmm. at it once? It comes in cool colors. Yeah. How about a uh, Mac U or iMac? Oh, God. Um, God. No, no, no. <laughs> Mac U. Put Mac that U. one back in the drawer. iMac. Vendor, uh, I reviewed <laughs> the iMac M1, uh, which was a lot of fun because I've I've tested out iMacs before. I've played with them. This thing just feels so different than any other iMacs, right? It has the same basic design. It is a giant display on a small little pedestal foot, uh, but it is so thin. It's like 11 to 12 millimeters thin throughout the entire device. So it is, it is just like a flat, super flat object. Um, there is no hump like the older IMAX, it's really light too. It's under 10 pounds. So it's like 9.8 pounds, which sounds heavy compared to laptops and stuff. Sure. Mm. Uh, I know a lot of people who have IMAX who always move them around their house, like especially during pandemic times, right? Like you're moving around to do video chats in different places. Sometimes uh, I see people doing it if they're on broadcast or something or on a podcast, they'll move their computer to a different room. This computer 
is basically the first portable desktop I've ever seen. Because I was just so tempted to like put it in my kitchen. You know, I brought it upstairs, put it in my kitchen, and I talked to some folks at Apple. They're like, yeah, I have it there for cooking videos and to pull up recipes because it's easier than having just an iPad propped up. Uh, it is a bigger screen. It's a 24-inch screen. The screen looks amazing. It's the M1 chip, so it's super fast. I brought it up to my wife's office um, to do some writing upstairs just because I like the natural light there better. It is really cool. Are you guys excited by this? It's colorful, which is nice, too. Uh, yeah, I, I think mm. we've seen all-in-ones with handles in the past, by the way, like oh, way sure. back in the day. with handles, Sherlin, because they're heavy. Um, because they're because heavy. heavy, yes. Yeah. There was also, and I don't know the weights of all the all-in-ones in the world. You obviously have yeah. like the white old, screens so there. The old iMac 21 and a half inch was closer to 20 pounds. That thing was like That's 19 crazy. pounds. Yeah. So, That's yeah. That's insane. Um, mm-hmm. And there are some all-in-ones designed for use in places like kitchens and living rooms too. Just, sure. just FYI. But, but I mean, not to yeah. say that like you're wrong in calling this like a very lightweight iMac or or, or mm-hmm. all-in-one. But I'm I'm more curious, Dev. When we first saw the announcement for these iMacs, one of the big, one like one of people's biggest issues was that chin. Did that bother you at all during your testing? So I don't I don't like the chin. I don't yeah. I don't. Yeah, it's not the best thing in the world. Uh, I'm all about super thin bezels. This is why we love Dell's XPS lineup so much. They did slim down the bezels around the top, the sides and the top. Mm-hmm. Um, the chin is actually there now that I've tested it. This thing has six speakers and like mm-hmm. uh, force canceling woofers and things like that. Like there's a huge speaker array. So it actually sounds really good. So it makes music sound really good. It makes movies sound really good. It's at most capable. So you can watch, like, get some simulated 3D sound and stuff. It is, um, it is like a capable little sound machine. So that is why that space is there. You cannot have good sound without dedicating some space to it. Um, unfortunately, that's just physics. So I'm once we see the teardowns, I'm pretty sure we'll see like a lot of that space is just taken up with speakers. So I would like to see less chin, but until they like come up with other ways to bring in good sound and for a machine like this you probably don't want to have external speakers. You know, you you want like a nice, clean setup. I would rather have this. So it didn't really bother me after mm. seeing it for a while. Yeah. Hmm. Dev, are you concerned at all? You know, you, you spec this thing out when you buy it, you get it, you use it for however long you use it. But yeah. as far as we're there's no upgradability here at all, That's right? Just, I mean, the old, old IMAX, like back in the twenty pre-2010 era, sure, you, you could upgrade, you could add a little more RAM, you could do some stuff. Uh, that was always fun. Uh, but no, there, there's no upgrading here. I mean, these things are all, you know, it, it is what it is right now. We are buying self-contained devices that cannot be upgraded. If you care about upgradability, don't buy an all-in-one. You know, at that point, uh, mm-hmm. even consider a Mac Mini because I, can you open up a Mac Mini? I haven't actually I tested that. Yeah. So Mac Minis are great options, you know, especially if you want the M1 chip and you want to pay a little less and then you can have your choice of monitor. Um, this is just a good, like, hey. Uh, I, we're a family. We want to buy a computer that sits in a central spot that everybody can use. Kids can use it for homework. You know, different parents can log on to it with a new touch ID sensor on the keyboard really easily. It is like the ideal family computer. And it's also like if you have young kids and they don't have their own laptops because kids shouldn't have laptops until, you know, they're a little older. Uh, this is like a good machine to have to like set up in the living room to let them do their work or the kitchen table or something. Like I think for a lot of people, this is kind of like a good family work machine and also directly opposed to whatever the iPad Pro is doing, right? In terms of the future of work, sometimes the old ways are better, I think. Like, this is kind of showing that, yeah. I mean, okay, uh, speaking, of, yeah. 
Mm-hmm. Speaking of old ways, pre-2010 era and what you said about speakers, I just want to say that I remember a little nostalgically back in uh-huh. the day when I was using computers where they came with like a pair of speakers you plug in yep. and then you a can pair like, control of, like, the volume dial. A pair of like plastic garbage speakers. Oh, oh, yeah. Really like a, a echo looking thing. <laughs> were those the days for you? Those, those beige beauties. Yeah, those ex- beige or black sometimes. So beige. Like, oh, man. Yeah. And then my yep. computer screen was freaking thick as F. But yes. Yep. Let, let me just say a few other things here. I like the idea that they brought back color because I also think the iMac kind of strayed away from what it was trying to do originally with the original like big big old CRT iMacs, right? Those things were colorful and cute and they made computers friendly for people because back then uh, PCs were these ugly gray boxes, you know? Gateway was kind of different for putting them in white boxes. <laughs> and then there was Sony that was doing dark boxes and that was like the extent of PC design. Apple introduced color into the fray and they went away with that. I think maybe because they started going down the Johnny Ive, like got to get your, your brushed aluminum, got to get your, you know, your, your cool colors. <laughs> what, what is this thing? His chamfered edges. Um, <laughs> it really, everything started to look really monotone and gray. And this color is just like a pop of life. I got the orange one, which just, it looks kind of creamsicle from the front. It's just really cute and approachable. I really like it. I do not like Apple's uh, keyboards and mice. Um, This is just a reminder. Mm. The Magic Keyboard sucks. Uh, The Magic Mouse is awful, but the trackpad is actually really good. So I would actually recommend a lot of people, if you don't like the feeling of the Magic Mouse, put on another mouse or get the the Magic Trackpad, which is a nice big touchpad. Uh, it just feels really good. Yeah. Any any other questions, guys? Like, I, there, there are some downsides I'll get to soon. Wait, Dev, what's your beef with the Magic Keyboard? It's, uh, I don't like the way it feels. I just don't like the way, it, it, there's not enough key depth. You know, mm-hmm. it is a little small and cramped. So I noticed, like, I had to, like, hold my hands together like a little, like an ant to type. And I was like, this mm-hmm. is no way mm-hmm. to live. I'm not going to live like this. Uh, but I'm also spoiled because normally I use, like, nice yeah. spread out ergonomic keyboards on my PC. So that feels good. But even compared to like the laptop keyboards, I feel like for a laptop, I center myself a little more. Whereas on a big screen, I kind of want more space for my hands to like stick, mm-hmm. you know, spread out. So it's a weird balance for me, but Hey, you could plug in any other devices you want to these things. Uh, a couple of downsides. Uh, we have fewer ports than before. So it's only at most four USB-C ports. Two of them are Thunderbolt 2. If you buy the entry-level model, it's only two USB-C ports, which kind of sucks. Um, there's Ethernet on the power brick of the more expensive model, but not on the cheaper one. You could buy that separately. And these things are expensive. You know, like it starts at what? I got to look it up, like 12 or 13.99. But once you start adding more RAM, like going from 8 gigabytes of RAM to 16 gigabytes is another 200 bucks. If you want to add even more storage, that is like that creeps up really quickly. So this is not an inexpensive computer, but I do think for families that want like a thing for everybody to work around, especially if, uh, if you want to start trying to move to the iPad pro life or something on your own, and you still want to have a nice big machine around to do some like serious PC productivity work, something like this makes a lot of sense. Do you guys have any other questions about the iMac? Should I buy one? I don't Should I just go for it. <laughs> you buy one. I, you will probably it. buy one because you make terrible. You buy everything. Exactly. So, yes. <laughs> You're like, I'm about to move. Yes. What don't you buy? I need another big box. (laughs) Well, yeah. It's very portable, though. And I was thinking of maybe getting a Surface laptop because of that screen. But maybe having a bigger screen that doesn't move anywhere Mm -hmm. or doesn't have to move anywhere could be good. Could be good. Anyway. This is all for me. This is extremely all for me. 
check Maybe out I our, have a yeah. suggestion. Yeah. Anytime yes, you want to buy something, you just send that money to me. And I <laughs> no, will I, uh, <laughs> put it in an investment account for you. No, thanks. But I do owe you a cake. Be sure to check out our reviews of the iPad Pro and the iMac. And check out our video reviews, too, because you get to see these things in action. And this was the first review I got to shoot in my house, which was kind of nice. And, you know, it was fun. It was good to put the iMac in different places. Let's move on to some other news. And boy, yeah, again, this has been a super busy week. Ford finally announced and showed off their electric F-150 Lightning pickup truck. And uh, just have to say, this this thing looks beautiful. It looks like an F-150, but it has 563 horsepower. It has a pretty, I believe, over 300 uh, mile range on the extended battery, 775 pounds of torque, um, the most of any F-150 ever. But be- best of all, this thing costs under $40,000, and that is even before the tax credits, uh, which could bring the price down to like around $33,000 for many people. This is a big freaking deal. Even if you don't care about uh, pickup trucks and big trucks like this, the F-150 is the most popular car in America. I believe Ford ships uh, around like a million new ones every year. So this is a big deal for people who aren't into Teslas, but for people who demand the kind of the power side of electric cars because electric cars can be so fast and offer so much torque. This thing is super powerful since it has no engine because it's just a computer on wheels. Uh, the front where there is normally a giant engine, it's just a giant trunk. So the frunk is huge. Apparently, uh, can hold like two, uh-huh. uh, two uh, mid-sized. Uh, what do you call Bodies? it? Suitcases. Suitcases okay. plus other stuff. So it's like the thing about pickup trucks is that they're not really convenient for like getting the groceries because if you stick them in the back, they're going around everywhere. It's hard to like keep things in place. The frunk is good for like ease of reach and manageability and stuff, but you still have the power of a pickup truck. You still have a huge bed in the back for like carrying stuff back from Home Depot or for your job or something. This thing's only going to be available in the like four door version too. So that's the one that families can actually use. I'm just really excited by this. Uh, It is so much better looking than the ugly cyber truck. So (laughs) I think this is really interesting. This is a really good year for Ford and electric cars, right? Every mm-hmm. time you say frunk, Dev, I, I don't know if you're saying a different F word. Um, but my <laughs> <laughs> what, what could you be talking about? I don't know. My question frunk? for you, my question <laughs> for you is, is this a, um, the Ford vehicle that, that Biden somehow accidentally announced during Google? Yeah, accidentally. It's all purposeful. Straight Come on. Up. Like okay. it was, it was right behind him during his, uh, the day before they officially announced it, it was right behind uh... him. Uh, and he mentioned Ford has an electric, you know, it's fine. They don't need to be secretive about it. Yeah. Biden took off in this car and like there's footage of him <laughs> just like speeding down a jetway uh, with the <laughs> Secret Service kind of running after him. So this is cool. This is cool. Between this and the Mustang EV, yeah. uh, it does seem like Ford is onto some really cool stuff. Uh, yeah. So I'm, I think this is exciting. I am paying more attention to electric cars and hybrid cars and things like that. I'm not a Mm -hmm. normal car person, but I do like the idea of computers on wheels. So we'll be keeping a close eye on this for sure. Sherlyn, you also want to talk about some new display types from Samsung? I love how in the week with Google Mm -hmm. I.O. companies are like, no, we're still going to shoot you with all kinds of news anyway. (laughs) Google, I mean, Samsung. Yeah, right. In addition to Apple reviews and Google I.O. So Samsung um, over at its little, uh, it had an event sort of under Mm -hmm. the Samsung display umbrella uh, this week. And I believe it was on May 17th. So maybe Monday. Yes. Mm -hmm. Um, Yep. 
it had a Display Week 2021 event uh, showing off some concept devices like a double folding OLED panel on a sort of smartphone. Um, okay. When it's unfolded, which you remember twice, uh, the screen has sort of a, a width or size of 7.2 inches. Uh, you know, so when it's obviously when it's folded, it's like a lot tinier than that. And then it also showed off a slidable OLED display. It extends horizontally, kind of like some of the TCL prototypes we've seen and talked about, and LG as well. Um, and then we also saw... At this event, a 17-inch foldable panel. So this would be more for a tablet or like a PC-style device, maybe running Windows, similar to Lenovo's uh, ThinkPad X1 Fold. So Samsung is like, you know, has sort of been leading, I think, the race in terms of getting consumer-ready foldable devices out there, but not really showing off much more by way of like interesting prototypes like that, mm -hmm. the, the way that TCL has actually been more active in doing. But it's really cool to see that Samsung's like, we know you, we hear you like trifolds. We hear you like rolling OLEDs. Here you go. And uh, the idea that we might get these different devices or device types from Samsung soon, well, soon being a relative word here, mm -hmm. is also very intriguing. V, you, you're big on foldables. What do you think about these prototypes? Does anyone want a trifold device? Like you're saying this? You? Ah. Yes, this is me. It's me, the dummy who went out and bought my own Galaxy Z Fold 2. <laughs> like that's that's enough. Um, but no, it's it's really interesting to see Samsung kind of experimenting with this stuff out loud. As you pointed out, TCL has been doing this for mm -hmm. a while. And if nothing else, it's helpful for them to just like be able to gauge what people think they might want to do with these things. Because we're still in like Smartphones have looked like slabs of glass and metal for, God, like a decade now. We're now on the precipice of like really wild new form factors, but no one knows what people want because no one's used one yet. So mm -hmm. I'm glad to see Samsung continue to try this out. We They have said that they will be doing a sort of more accessible push into foldables this year. Mm -hmm. So we're all sort of taking that to mean they're going to be cheaper. So yeah. maybe, maybe mm -hmm. we'll see something like this actually go on sale but and we'll and not prohibitively priced. Um, mm -hmm. And yeah, I do agree that that might be the meaning of the word accessible in that sort of uh, context there. Not not yeah. like for people with... For sure, for sure. I, do, I almost feel like we're reaching like an innovation precipice here too, where it's like, I don't think foldables are ever going to be as big as smartphones were. Like as an overall mm. consumer shift and, a, you know, the way we use our tech and stuff, it is a nice thing to have. It's a nice to mm -hmm. have. It's not a must have. Whereas the yeah. iPhone compared to, you know, every, literally everything that came before it was, oh my God, this is a must have. Yeah. We all need a phone Change like this. Change the way uh, we live. It changes our lives. So, yeah. you know, hey, I, I think foldables are probably going to have a much smaller market, but it's cool. It's cool to play with. I just, yeah, I don't, I don't feel like it'll ever be essential to a lot of folks. Well, we'll <laughs> see. We shall see. Maybe. And maybe uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to like more, I think as we move forward, more people are going to do the sort of like let's separate ourselves more from our tech rather than mm. let's integrate more of it. Like I think the tech aestheticism, like the idea of being mindful and being careful about how you uh, embed yourself in tech and how you live with it is going to be a big deal moving forward too. So foldables, I think will will kind of suffer because of that. Mm, but maybe. anyway, let's talk <laughs> about more tech that we're going to be diving into. Let's Something big that happened this week is Amazon announced that they're going to be offering lossless audio on Amazon Music at no extra charge. That used to be, you actually used to be able to get hi-fi tracks 
by paying a little more. Um, no extra charge. They did that because a couple hours later, Apple also announced that <laughs> Apple Music will be offering lossless edit audio at no extra charge, along with Dolby Atmos 3D audio, which I think mm. for a lot of people will probably be the cooler thing because that gives you like simulated surround sound basically with music. Um, this is a big change we're seeing this year. We also know uh, Spotify said that it is going to be doing its own lossless, like the CD quality service, uh, Spotify Hi-Fi, later this year. We don't quite know. We don't even know what that's going to be or what it's going to cost. But given the fact that Apple and Amazon are doing it for free now, I feel like that puts Spotify in a bit of a bind. Do you guys care at all about lossless audio, like about this higher quality stuff? Not moi, because yeah. I, I, I'm a very <laughs> You, me, you don't care. <laughs> Look, I will say, if I'm a Spotify person, like that's where I've yeah. chosen to invest my time. You better believe I have my like download settings set to maximum quality. Yeah, maximum quality. download. Yeah, but at the same time, I'm listening to them over like AirPods or or like the Bose noise canceling 700s, those which sound fine, but are, not, are but are yeah. not like odd. Yeah. Like no one's gonna say those are like premium audio. And they're also limited. Uh, so they are limited. Those any wireless headphones, they are limited by the Bluetooth codex and kind of like mm-hmm. the maximum quality those can spit out. Let me just say, I think for 98, 99 percent of users out there they will probably never take full advantage of lossless audio tech because you need to have a dedicated headphone amp. Uh, you know, you need to have a good pair of wired headphones that could really capture the nuances of all that extra stuff. If you're in a noisy environment, if you're traveling, if you're in your car, if you're on the subway, you having those giant files will not make a difference at all. You will literally not hear it because there's too much other noise to, to even really take advantage of that. So that's one thing. I think like there's there's like, you can only go so far with losses audio. The funny thing is that none of the AirPods so far, not even the $549 <laughs> AirPods Max supports lossless audio. Now, here's oh, why it's boy. interesting. It's because, uh, yeah, sure, in wireless mode, I wouldn't expect the AirPods Max to, to support it. You would think in wired mode, right, like just plugging it into uh, your phone or device or something, that it could get higher quality. No. No, not at all, because actually this uh, the DAC on that thing is limited to the best wireless quality, you know, because it is meant to be wireless first. So unlike, you know, a normal pair of headphones that you plug in with a three and a half millimeter jack, uh, you, you're paying a lot of money for quality that you can't actually hear on, on the AirPods Max. So I found that hilarious. <laughs> Nobody's talked about those things anymore, right? Do you have those, V? Which ones? The AirPods Max? The Max. No. Yeah. No. No. They I know were you like, were tempted. You were like, hmm. Look, everything, every, everything tempts me. I have the lowest threshold for buying anything of any human imaginable. Uh-huh. And it's bitten me in the ass several hundreds <laughs> of times. And with the AirPods Max, I say no, sir. This is this is where I put this my This is where you drew the line. Really? Well, good okay. Good we'll see because – one day we'll oh, see God. V rolling up with the AirPods. You Pro will Max. never. Yeah. No, you will. We will. You we sure we will, will totally see that. But anyway, I, uh, so I here's the thing. <laughs> here's the thing. If you want to take advantage of Apple lossless music or any of this stuff, buy a good pair of headphones or be prepared to like build out a good pair of hi-fi speakers or something or a good hi-fi speaker setup uh, and get yourself an amp. Like you, you won't just be able to do it with a simple pair of wireless headphones or AirPods or something. Dolby Atmos sound for a lot of people may be a cool little thing. We've seen demos of spatial audio on AirPods, basically simulated surround sound. So 
I've tried out some demos of this. I don't I don't think it's a game changer either. It is a cool feature to have on headphones. Uh, just the idea of like you're standing in front of a live band rather than hearing two channels of audio at you. But I, I, yeah, it's not it's not earth shattering to me. It's just it's a cool thing to have again. <laughs> Let's move on to some other stuff. Sherlyn, IFA, IFA. So Aoife was, uh, for some reason, uh, Aoife, which is, by the way, uh, Europe's version of CES, except for to me, it happens on a smaller scale, uh, as an electronic show in Europe, um, and it happens in Berlin. Now, last month, uh, the organizers of Aoife, I'm not going to attempt to say the name because I'm definitely going to butcher it, uh, (laughs) were like, yo, we're definitely doing a full-scale return uh, to this show, and then it's now been canceled because since it announced that, I think a lot of companies just were like, we're not not going to Aoife, I don't know what you're Mm -hmm. thinking about this full-scale return. Plus, there are, like we said many times on the show already, still a lot of places in the world still plagued by COVID-19 and its mm-hmm. variants. So that always seemed like a dumb idea. So now IFA has, uh, this weekend at least, uh, the organizers were like, oh yeah, we're, no, we're, we're canceling it. Because <laughs> coronavirus infection numbers in Germany are actually higher now than they were at this time last year. This is awful. Yeah. Yep. Imagine that, because the the UK variant mm-hmm. is one that we've been keeping an eye on, and then more recently yep. the India variant, and then there's variants mm-hmm. in Indonesia and other parts of the world that just didn't feel like they had enough foresight when they said they were going to go ahead with it this year. They're they're finally it seems like doing the, story the right thing. Twenty twenty and twenty twenty one. Yeah, yeah. I hope more countries get more access to vaccines. I hope more Americans start taking the vaccines um, mm. because yeah, we are not we are not it, out of the in the clear yet. Yeah. We're not. And I, I, one thing that America, I feel like, has done faster than a lot of countries in the world uh, is, is get mm-hmm. its people vaccinated. Uh, in mm-hmm. Singapore, I know my parents both are, you know, uh, fully vaxxed up. My brother only just got his first dose, and he's, like, very close to my age. Um, and but that was people, because they were restricting who was getting it, too, right? Like, it wasn't true. open to yeah. him for There a was, while. like, yeah. classes of people. So, like, my, my parents yeah. are older. And then there's people in different, mm-hmm. like, lines of work that were allowed to get it sooner. Um, I heard uh, that Taiwan also recently had, like, 200 cases out of nowhere. Well, not mm-hmm. really nowhere, a pilot. Yeah. But yeah. stuff is still happening. It feels stuff like happens we're... really fast, yeah. Really quickly. We're excited for a return to normalcy. I understand that. But we really mm-hmm. need to be... This is just my weekly soapbox of like how we need to be careful, wash our hands and, you know, soap in a box. Um, but anyway, <laughs> this news was also announced this week. Just as a recap, though, at IFA, we usually see a lot of uh, news about audio devices, sure. wearables. It's like a lot of TVs, yeah. Lots of TVs, tablets and laptops, and eat a lot of good food in Germany. A lot of Wiener Schnitzel in Berlin. <laughs> <laughs> Davindra, I feel like you went to one Ifa. Yeah, we went to, we one, went Aoife to one with you guys. Yeah. Yes, that was pretty cool. Um, it was fun. Ifa's good. Yeah, good food. Ifa's uh, a good show. Ifa, Ifa. I a cannot nice wait show. till we can all travel again safely and eat good food mm-hmm. while working too much. That's the that's oh, the yeah. story of our lives. Let's move on. One one other <laughs> little bit of news. Microsoft killed windows 10x officially we have talked about this a bit this was supposed to be the Mm -hmm. dual screen variant of windows 10 it was supposed to be in the surface neo um yeah that's not not happening uh we don't know where the surface neo is i think because the duo was so poorly received microsoft was like i let's not uh let's not do this just yet um 
I can understand why. And we we have seen some demos of dual screen PCs from other companies. Again, to me, this feels like folding phones. You are not solving a problem. You are doing this cool tech because you kind of can. You know, it's like, hey, <laughs> look at that. It's like yeah. it's like a dog walking on two legs. You're like, oh, that's that's funny to see. Um, I don't know if it'll actually uh, solve any problems for anybody or is worth an extra cost I- or anything. So, yeah. I think they were exploring something to see what could work. And it sounds like this sure. is them going, we tried and it's like nearly impossible and it may be mm-hmm. too hard to be worth the effort. I don't know, V, if you were for excited sure. for 10X. I really wanted to use the Surface Neo. Just look, I just, just wanted to use thing. the Surface Neo. I did want <laughs> right? to use that. Right? Yeah. My God. So cute. Like, talk, talk about experimenting out loud. Like, this is a thing that I'd actually legitimately want to try. And the fact that I never will kind of kills <laughs> I w- me. I wouldn't say never. So they are they are bringing some Windows 10X features, at least mm. some of the ideas, like better app security. Um, I think eventually a better touchscreen keyboard and stuff like that will be rolled mm. into Windows 10 proper. I don't think this means dual screen devices are dead entirely in, in the Windows world. It just means mm-hmm. Microsoft is not doing a separate OS variant for it. But, man, they just keep failing at this because they announced <laughs> Windows 10 S with the first Surface laptop. And that was supposed to be a lockdown, streamlined version of Windows where you could only install apps from the App Store. And it was such a dumb idea because nobody uses Windows like that. So, And they had to turn about face pretty quickly, too. Yeah. So, again, it seems like rather than launching it and seeing it fail because they kind of know it probably would, they were like, let's just... Let's just focus on Windows 10 mm-hmm. and see what we can build with that. Yeah. Fair. Well, that's it, I think, right? For our little roundup of big news mm-hmm. this week. There's been more. There's more. There's like a little there's bit of more. Qualcomm news, by the way. Snapdragon 778 was announced and new 5G, you know, technologies and references. Please go to Engadget.com to read that because we don't have the time to tell you all of it today here on this. <laughs> We're already running long as it is, but it's been a big week, people. I'm glad you're yeah. here with us. Send us some mail. How about that? I, I'd love to get some reader mail. We have some mail we're also going to get yeah. to. Yeah, next Eventually, time. eventually. Uh, send us mail at podcastengadget.com. We would love to take your questions in the future. Let's move on to what we've been working on. I, <laughs> I'm just dead. I'm just dead, Trillin. So you tell me. What are you yes. working on? I, uh, so just... I'm still playing with the Android 12 beta a little bit. I can, I will continue to update my uh, hands-on with it as I learn more things from my experiences and with Google. And I am starting to review a new interesting laptopy thing. I kind of don't want to let people know yet because I don't want people to beat me to the punch. But top priority, taking some time off. Next week, I will not be here. Hopefully, fingers crossed. I'm still yeah, waiting on yeah. the... <laughs> all clear signal. You don't Nothing know. Big okay. I mean, I, I feel like you're all clear. Uh, there is <laughs> Microsoft Build is next week, so thank you, Sherlyn, for running away during that. Uh, we're gonna get some news from you, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Uh, we will split up the Build news day anyway. Sherlyn needs a break. Everybody, please email Sherlyn and tell her to no. take a vacation. Oh, okay, okay. You can do that. Yes. Yeah. Um, but V, what are you working on? I gotta tell you guys, I'm keeping things loosey goosey for a little while. I might be doing like a like a like a roundup of like air tag accessories. So if you have any of those you want me to try out, sure, I'll take mm-hmm. a look at them. Uh, I, I think I <laughs> I might write about like the fake Peloton bike that I built for myself, yes, just should. in case you, you don't want to spend two thousand dollars sure. on a bike. Like, yeah. we can do that. Um, yeah, just kind of having a good time for a little while. Feels yeah. good. Yeah, you're gonna help Devendra on build, you know, all of that. Yes, I did already news, offer yeah. before the show. Hit me <laughs> up. I got you, bud. All right, let's move on to our pop culture picks for the week. Sherlyn, what is your secret? So you uh, I struggled really, really hard this week, but last minute uh, I got a late breaking uh, exclusive <laughs> embargo offer from Microsoft. 
Uh-huh. And basically, the company teamed up with Asian media company and record label 88 Rising to generate an AI-based never-ending remix of this thing called <laughs> Too Many Tears.ai. <laughs> it, is, it is of, of a, um, yeah, a yeah. singer and rapper, Warren Hugh, um, his latest single, Too Many Tears. So basically, what Microsoft and 88 Rising have done is take that song um, and then also send out uh, some technical specialists to the San something valley. Oh gosh, I need to get the San Gabriel Valley, I want to say. Uh-huh. Let me double check. Um, and then put a camera there, send a 24-7 feed to AI. And the AI is kind of looking at like transitions between sunset, uh, you know, sunrise, dusk, and dawn, that sort of thing. And change using stems from the music to create sort of a musical background to the scenes that are also playing on screen. You can go check this out on too many tears.ai if you want to see. I, my my thing is like Microsoft's whole like collaborations with entertainers like you know, Warren Hugh and in the past uh-huh. Bjork by the way um has resulted in these like really interesting musical background music things that you can now that you're spending so much time at home put on in the background. I'm going to go do that. And it's, you know, Microsoft also pointed out that the um, this project is part of celebrating Asian uh, American representation, I guess. And, and some of the, and that valley, that area is also one of the most diverse um, in the area that Microsoft said. So that's my, one of my Asian shout outs this week. But the other one I wanted to shout out, <laughs> I was like, what am I, what am I going to shout uh-huh. out that is Asian? Because I haven't watched a lot of Asian things recently. Haven't been looking at uh, Asian creators lately. I was like, you know what? I'm going to do a throwback to way back when I used to recommend all kinds of crap on this podcast. I'm going to recommend you some Asian food. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, okay. Okay. Please. If you If you are wondering what to eat this week, or this month, go all Asian. Dude, there's so many different kinds of Asian food. Thai food, Malay food, Indonesian food. It sounds like you've prepared a book report for a book you haven't read. So like, what are you doing? Wait, is that your bakeries? actual recommendation? Just, like, Just get some Asian food, food for a month. Uh, you know, get some food. Pot get some takeout. Sichuan, hot pot, dry pot, mm. Asian beers. Get Can in. I mute oh, sorry, from this chat? Yeah. <laughs> this is like every non-work conversation with this is true. This is true. Like as soon as we're off work mode, she's like, "What's uh, what are we going to eat, guys? Like, what is <laughs> what's happening?" Yeah. Anyway, that's amazing, my pick, amazing Asian food. <laughs> Great. All right, I'm gonna V. I bet you did. You did the job. You did your you homework. Did, you completed the assignment here. I did. Do you have I any did. pop culture recommendations? Yes. Call on me. That's um, more than yes. food. <laughs> so, I don't know if you guys know this about me. I've basically given up on regular television and uh-huh. most streaming services just like as a thing. I get the vast majority of all my entertainment from YouTube. And the YouTube channel that has ensorcelled me so thoroughly for the past few weeks. And I, it really has been a source of great comfort to me as I've been reviewing stuff and just sort of like figuring out stuff about my life is a channel called Project Farm. And this is a gentleman, mm. Divinity, you might be into this. Yeah. This is a gentleman who, among other things, tests, you know, what kinds of oil would be best to use in your car? <laughs> what kind of what kind of drill bits last the longest? Oh, I love and are YouTube those good for, values. Like, the little granular things like this. Like, oh, I am really excited about drill bits. Yes. This Tell me this more. person, this person is incredible. Mm-hmm. He just I uh one of my favorite videos, he he bought a fake Makita 
like power, like drill uh-huh. power screwdriver thing. And that was 30 bucks. And compared it to the actual Makita that it was based on, which is like 130, yep. just like went full out. It's like a 12 minute video. It's, it's like drilling full, until it dies. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Just like which one can drill faster. What's like the cutoff point. Yep. Uh, he connects them to each other to just like crank both and see which one wins. Yeah. Obviously the real Makita wins. I, I cannot begin to impress upon people the, the sort of granularity and, and just sort of the thoughtfulness of his approach to testing which tape measure is best or which ratchet strap is the best ratchet strap. So if you even, I, I don't own a home. I don't, I'm not a handy person, but I aspire to be one day maybe. And this guy gives me hope that maybe one day with the right tools that he finds, maybe I'll be good at something. You'll be good at something. Hey, follow, find some YouTubers. Here's the thing. Like the thing about YouTube is that no matter what your interest is, you will find people doing stuff you're into and also weird random things like this that, yeah, I get really into as well. So thank, I, you, thank you for the shout out, Dee. I'm going to add about, to my homework. Yeah. Sorry, really quick. There's, oh there's YouTubers. <laughs> you failed. You've already got the F. You follow that. And also, also, uh, uh, crap, what did I want to say? Oh, also <laughs> Mythic Quest Season 2. That's my homework. Good, good job. That's, it's out. Go watch good it. Good job. Good job. It's out. Um... I, I will also be watching that. Mythic Quest is good. Watch it, folks. Um, I'm kind of the old fogey, I guess, who likes shows <laughs> and scripted narrative entertainment, such as movies. Uh, but I want to shout out The Nevers, which aired its mid-season, first-season finale this week. Um, I was I think I talked about this when it first launched. This is Joss Whedon's new thing. It is the most Joss Whedon-y thing <laughs> to arrive because it's like mixtures of Buffy and Angel and Firefly and everything. Even his comic stuff is in here. Uh, it is a weird show to be talking about now because Whedon is basically nuclear. He, he's a little toxic because of reports from just how crappy he was as a boss and how he kind of used his influence to uh, to bed people he worked for he worked with um so not great not a great dude he left the show after basically after these episodes and is being show run by different people now um i do want to say though as a show it is good you know it is very tropey it is it is very much like things you've seen before with whedon but uh it does some really cool stuff it is about people in the like victorian era who some who get powers when the show was initially pitched it was actually we thought it was just women getting powers, but it's actually a little more complicated than that. So powers are happening. And then uh, this mid-season finale drops, and it is one of the wildest things I've ever seen on TV. And it actually harkens back to another Whedon project where he does a big surprising thing. Uh, that's Dollhouse, a show that nobody saw. Um, yeah, I think if you like Whedon's stuff, if you are into sci-fi uh, and fantasy and you know superhero stuff, it is worth checking out the Nevers. It is definitely worth getting to episode six. And uh, why, why don't you tweet at me when you get there? Tweet at me your reaction because I think it does some really bold and interesting stuff for TV. And I like being surprised by my uh, by my narratives and by the things I watch. So the Nevers season one is good. Don't listen to Rotten Tomatoes because Rotten Tomatoes <laughs> reviews were just the first couple episodes. <laughs> Shaky, sure. It gets really good. I like the cast. I like the characters. And I'll keep watching because, uh, hey, Whedon's not going to be involved anymore. And it, there's a strong cast. There's a strong crew of writers and people working on it, too. So, yeah, I hope the show lives on. Check out The Nevers, everybody. Been meaning to watch it. We'll do it after you've given us such a strong recommendation. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, please tweet at me once you get to episode six. Once you start episode six, to be honest. I heard a lot of things about that. Once you that, hit yeah. play, you're like, 
What is uh, it's going to basically be me and Alex Kranz just uh, just geeking out about <laughs> oh, what is no, going on. Oh no, you've been talking to her about this. Oh lord. No, I, I need to. I, we need to catch oh, up. We need to it. do a Netflix yeah, chat. Okay. Uh, but anyway, that's it for me. Um, I, I have food recommendations. Please eat. Please eat food. <laughs> please recommend. Yeah, please energize yourself. Uh, some good instant noodle brands. How about that? Ramen brands. <laughs> Wait no, if we're doing if we're doing good, uh, instant no, noodle okay, brands. fine, Mama, fine. Get, get the get You've the ruined everything. The Mama food Rex, food okay. Rex, V, go. Mom, Mama duck noodles, mm. the sort of like really cheap, like super the cheap Mama Thai really good, yeah. fake duck flavored noodles. I like the mm. there's the Korean spicy noodle that has like the chicken. oh nongshim yeah. nongshim yeah nice. he's uh, it's good it's too spicy because I have to use like yeah. half the spice pack because otherwise it's like I can't eat, I can't even eat it you you've, you've gone too really far really good. Yeah, it's Nong not Chim the crazy, good. crazy fire uh, spice one. I don't think that one's another one. Sanyang, <sighs> I think. I can't remember. Yeah. Uh, my favorite are Prima. Prima does good Singaporean laksa. We're talking about this on the mm-hmm. uh, chat. Um, and uh, Maggie. I like Maggie a lot. Miojo is another really good one with the sesame oil. So here you go. Asian ramen noodle <laughs> brand. Wait, There's sorry. This- one more. One yeah. more. Migo, yeah. Migo Rang. The sort Migo of Indian good. garlicky noodles. Delicious. I've it's all good. Hey, the, the amazing thing is here. you can get good noodles no matter where you are now. Uh, even if you don't yeah. live near a store that carries these things, which even major grocery stores do, you could get yeah. good uh, good noodles on Amazon or something. So get them. Have some noodles in the background. Uh, happy lunch, everybody. I think we're all really hungry. That's it for our episode, everyone. Thank you, as always, for listening. Our theme music is by game composer Dale North. Our outro music is by our very own Terrence O'Brien. The podcast is produced by Ben Elm. You can find Devendra online at... At Devendra on Twitter and at the Slash Filmcast at SlashFilm.com. And if you need him, Chris Velasco is online at... You can find me at Chris Velasco on Twitter or you can email me at V at Engadget.com. Or waiting in line for the next $3,000 Apple product, right? No, shut up. I'm now on Amazon buying more duck noodles. Oh, no. Better, cheaper. Yeah. <laughs> if you want to send me your questions about Asian food in general, because clearly I'm such an expert now, uh, I am at Sherlyn Lowe on Twitter. Email us your thoughts, questions, and feedback at podcastandengadget.com. Leave us a review, please, on iTunes. And subscribe on anything that gets podcasts, including Spotify. Once again, we'd like to take a second to thank our sponsor, Mouser Electronics. Not only does Mouser stock the world's widest selection of semiconductors and electronic components, they also offer an original content series called Empowering Innovation Together. Each month, EIT takes a deep dive into the hottest tech trends, and this month the focus is on 5G. Check out podcasts, articles, infographics, videos, and more at mouser.com slash empowering innovation. Those beige beauties. <laughs>